and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And uh, we've got a, uh, a Clouseau film. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> we got to, I usually say like an interesting one, a fun one, uh, whatever. Just It's a, a Clouseau one this week. Yeah. We got a Le Corbeau from 1943. Yeah, his second film. Yes. Ever. Um, before we get into that, uh, we thought uh, I thought it'd be fun to uh, kind of talk about a couple of little things now that we're going to be coming out weekly again. We can kind of address some stuff as it happens. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and the first one being uh, the announcement that Netflix made at the Sundance Film Festival about um, Criterion releasing their films. So Netflix makes, quote-unquote, artistic films or endeavours to mm. and then decides they will partner it, up with Criterion to release physical copies I, I they don't all they, like Netflix makes some really fantastic artistic films like I, I'm not saying that yeah they're not artistic visionaries but they do like pump money into they did like sometimes. they also put out a lot of Adam Sandler films yeah. And that aren't uncut gems. <laughs> you know, they yeah. put out a lot of just crap that'll get clicks and yeah. likes, but they also do stuff like Roma. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, I actually don't have Netflix because mm. um, I think the library's kind of... It doesn't engage me enough to pay the money. But, mm. but I am really surprised and happy that you would have this kind of partnership. Yeah. Because it means, well, like, I mean, people had an inkling that it might be coming because I think as of when we're recording this in like a week or two's time, Roma is being released on Criterion, uh, which is a fucking incredible film uh, by Alfonso Cuaron. And, you know, seeing that that was coming out, it had a lot of people kind of wondering, is this going to be an ongoing thing? And then they waited for kind of first day at the Sundance Film Festival this year to announce, yes, it is. And I think they've slated four additional Netflix titles already so far. Mm. So the, it's going to be Marriage Story, The Irishman, uh, Atlantics, and American Factory. Yeah, it's it's fascinating that they would decide to do this. Yes, I mean it's promising in that. I mean, it just it kind of just tickles me that you'd have such a large corporation, which I would assume would do the Disney route. How can we maximize profits? We'll make with our the own. lowest effort. Yeah, and to do this is suggest to me that there's somebody or some people there that actually give a shit about cinema as an artistic expression. Yeah, it, it seems to some some degree, instead of just like churning out shit, so like like you're saying, someone at Netflix actually cares? Yeah. And it's like A24, it's like A24, it's sponsored by A24 we are. Yeah, <laughs> Tom's decided forevermore. Tom uh, came up with the idea that now uh, every episode is going to be brought to you by A24, just... Yeah, because that's a, that's a production company that that almost doesn't care about if it's making money or not. It just wants to produce great things. I think they're probably running at a loss at this point. Probably. Um, but they don't give a fuck. They they want to make odd original pieces of art. Yeah. And to some degree, Netflix does too. So, yeah, it's weird to put them side by side and say they're kind of doing the same thing. Mm. And we were talking about this, obviously, throughout the week when it first got, got announced. And it's... It, like, Tom, you brought up the whole idea that this is, uh, by Criterion putting out their stuff, it's helping to legitimise the Netflix end of it, to sort of say, like, yes, they are actually producing high-quality art films that deserve to be part of the Criterion collection. And I view... Which was totally right. And um, I viewed it more from the prism of, this is Netflix, the biggest giant streaming service in the world, 
hoping to legitimize the importance of physical media. Yeah. It, it works both ways. Doesn't yeah, it? yeah, it is. It's kind of just this beautiful little kind of matching that's happened. So um, Criterion's also putting their trust in well, not well. I suppose their trust, but so, certainly some kind of respect towards well, the streaming services. As it, well, it, yeah, it at least means that they stand by the some of the product that Netflix is putting out. Like, I, I don't imagine them being like, "Hey, here's the ridiculous six or an Adam Sandler box set of like you know <laughs> that and like I don't know, like murder mystery. I don't even know what they're all called. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't care. But it gives me great hope because for the last couple of years, some of my favorite films of the year have been through Netflix. Like, um, I mean, shit like Roma. And then um, before that, Okja, uh, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, I loved. Uh, shit, it means we could get The Ballad of Buster Scruggs out on Criterion. Some some more Coen brothers in yeah, there. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Hmm. So. It's good. It's going to be an interesting little time. It's good. I wasn't expecting it. It's a nice surprise. Yes. Uh, Le Corbo. Let's go into Le Corbo. Yes, uh, 1943, as you said, uh, Clouseau's second film. Yeah, did you want to do... Uh, I think we should talk about the film first, mm-hmm. and then I'd like to talk about the historical context, which is really interesting. The the actual story and things? Yeah. Yeah. yeah of, okay. You know, the, the kind of... Try and contextualise it historically to be... Um, almost a more interesting discussion than, than yeah. the film itself, but... Because, yeah, it, uh, the film's okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I certainly, yeah, I certainly wasn't engaged in the first half an hour, and I think it built steam, and then it petered out for me as okay. well towards the end. But I, I, it's one way, like I, I say that because I went in with such high expectations because I love the other Clouseau uh, films that we've done, uh, both Diabolique and Wages of Fear. I think are both masterpieces. Yeah, um, and so I was very excited to see what he ha- what else he had in store for us, and was like, ah, oh, it's fine. Well, yeah, I. I mean, let's do a synopsis yep. um, first, uh, which you can do, because I've done yep. the last couple, and I don't feel like doing this one. Fair enough. I was just about to say, do you want me to do it since you've done um, Yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> set in a small kind of provincial town in um, in France, where uh, uh, mysterious letters start arriving, essentially, where it's uh, a person blackmailing with gossip, essentially, spreading these rumours and things throughout the town, and because of that... Uh, I know it's an odd one to try and describe. It's sort of well, they're poison pen letters. Yeah, essentially, get That's put out to a small town in France, mm. and it slowly starts to un- unravel, unravel the, the fabric of this whole society, and uh, no one trusting anyone else, and it just who is uh, the quote unquote the Raven who is writing all these letters, yeah. and Le so Corbeau, kind of the Raven, the Corbeau. Yeah, so sort of um, weird little kind of noir detective mystery thing, but it's a it's a kind of weird different take on that um yeah it's it's a bit of fun i'll say at the heart of it you have a uh, a doctor who is maybe isn't who he says he is yeah germain yes dr remy germain played by pierre <clears throat> what is it pierre fresno i something pierre like fresno? that <laughs> <clears throat> i've written it down but i can't read my own writing anyway mm. <laughs> Who's an abortionist, by the way? So he comes into this town uh, and alleged abortion. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he's kind of an interesting character. Um, although I didn't really engage with him till later on in the film. Yeah, he's very blunt mm-hmm. and very kind of not confrontational, but uh, 
by I was about to say by the books, but he's you know a very strict and stern man. He comes across as to begin with. Yeah, mm. but he's I mean he's obviously hiding something, um, hiding his past, um, which obviously uh, the Raven starts to write letters to everybody describing who he actually might be. Yes, and that is somebody that performs illegal abortions. Yeah, um, which by today's standards is kind of heroic, actually. Um, and yet he is kind of freaking out. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, depending on who who you ask back in the day, back in, you know, when this is film is set, it could be viewed as heroic as well. Like, well, he's the protagonist and... and I mean, shit, that's the whole plot line of the yeah. Cider House Rules, even. It's like, you know, it's a fucking... Yeah. <laughs> abortion clinic on the DL. <laughs> um, I haven't seen that. It's a really good movie. I like that one quite a bit. Lassa Hellstrom, who did uh, My Life as a Dog. I haven't seen that either. Yeah, we did it for the podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I should go back and listen to the podcast. The one about the dying mother and the two boys go off to the separate places and the villages. And... No, no, no. It's really good. You should watch it again. <laughs> but anyway, yes. Um, yeah, it's an interesting film. It's, it's an... The setup is strange in that it takes quite a while to actually get to the meat of what... Clouseau is doing and saying with the film for a long time he, he he takes his time setting up your scenario and and by that I'm meaning like literally the scenery like you, the town and the people within it before the actual conflict and the kind of you know thematical elements start to come into play there's a, I mean well there's a lot of characters involved mm. there's uh, Vorzette who is the town psychiatrist yes and his wife uh, Laura there's Denise who's... I think she has a problem with her back and she's always sick. Yeah. Um, and she's been cared for and has um, some kind of, like sexual relations with uh, Germain. She's having a, uh, a, a very quiet affair with Germain. Yeah. And then there's like a slew of other people. Um, who else is there? Marie, oh, Marie yeah. Corbin, who's the, the... The nurse in the hospital who is also very kind of... Strict. Stunt, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, I think that's why initially... It's taking a long time to set these characters up. It, it's a, it's essentially setting up the chessboard before the game begins. Yeah, but but in so doing, I think I mean also, I didn't really appreciate the way that this the general style of, of filmmaking as well. Like, there's a lot of fade into transitions and fade out transitions where it was just like it just didn't seem like. Clouseau was knew what he was doing entirely yet. In particular, like looking at where he goes in his career with things like Diabolique and Wages of Fear, which are just masterfully constructed. Yeah. That and the way that he builds tension in, in particular in Wages of Fear is is bafflingly great. And this is just so kind of paint by numbers until yeah. at least for the first half hour or forty five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to once the mystery and the kind of, you know, the letters of it all starts to begin, that's when it starts to kind of... The stylistic elements start to bleed in. I think, yeah, I think the turning point was when it becomes more of a... You're done setting up the chessboard and it turns into an actual thriller. Yes. Um, And that is when everybody pins it on Marie Corbin. They think she's the raven. Yes. And they hunt her down to her home and take her away... um, so I think the, the madhouse, basically. Which was some kind of shocking imagery to kind of see at that t- at the time of this film being made. Yeah. Um, and so only then did the film start to actually 
build steam and have an, an inertia behind it. Mm. And that's when I started paying attention, basically. Because it's essentially, yeah, the thematic elements are kind of kicked in where it's like, oh, this isn't just a film about a small town doctor who may or may not be having an affair or whatever. It's actually about um, essentially how propaganda or lies and slander can start to poison and tear apart the fabric of a community. Even there's even it even takes pretty big swings at, at the religious institutions yeah. as well. I mean, yeah. there's, at that stage, right after she's captured and and uh, everyone thinks, hey, the you know the deed's done and we've caught the raven, and then everyone's in church and there's this note that floats down Which into is a the beautiful little scene. Yeah, yeah. Again, like that's when the film, like mm. um, technically, it starts to become quite interesting. Um, and all of a sudden, the raven's back says that it wasn't her. He finalizes the letter with addressing himself as your brother in Jesus Christ, the raven. Yeah. Right. And all the religious folks start saying this is blasphemy. But of course, they're more concerned that if I got the sense that they're more concerned not with the fact that it's that he's taken a swipe at, at religion, but they're worried that they'll be exposed as not being saintly. Yeah. Not being good people, good Christian, mm. Catholic, whatever people. And so all of a sudden, you're starting to to engage with the themes of the film just more than the thriller and mystery. It's really yeah. getting to the core of of why people would hide what they truly are. Mm. And it's so wonderful that that all, like, just while we're on the note of that church and the Jesus Christ references and things, like, the the, cho- the the raven choosing that moment where it's like, A, you've got the whole town kind of gathered and they're just like, well, that is that. We've taken care of that little issue and we've thrown a innocent woman into the madhouse it just helped it also helped to convict her that we didn't like her very much so oh well job well done pat ourselves on the back yeah. whole town gathered letter drops from the ceiling silences a fucking church while it flutters down great and it, it is it's essentially calling bullshit of just like you just mob mentality convicted someone who was innocent like sound familiar priests yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, even... Um, it goes against basically saying that everyone in the town has something to hide because yeah. everyone in the town is basically a piece of shit. Which uh, is wonderfully explained. Uh, the um, doctor, uh, uh, Voze, has um, that wonderful scene with Remy... Um, Jermaine. Jermaine. About, uh, it's like... He, <laughs> Remy's problem is he thinks everyone is either good or evil. There is no middle ground. There is no grey areas. And the psychiatrist is trying to explain to him, like, people are nothing but grey. Like, there you like there is no such thing as pure good, pure evil. It is just it, it is a nebulous kind of thing. And if you approached life from that, that's why you're gonna have a hard time and be so rigid and fucked up and like mm. you are, so but what what do you think about this? The fact that Jermaine, the Raven's writing letters, trying to say I'm going to, I mean, well, he's having a, he's having an affair with uh, Laura mm-hmm. as well, who's Vorzet's wife. So I mean, everyone's got something to hide. Yes. But what do you think about the idea that the Raven's also trying to expose him as an abortionist, and that that's seen 
as something that's disgusting to the larger community. I think that's just trying to uh, shine a light on him as a hypocrite in the way that he conducts himself in his profession because he is so the epitome of the straight by the book doctor. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, he, he actually on the side does this thing that is considered very, A, illegal at the time and like, you know, B, very kind of yeah. medically constitutionally not, you know, accepted. And so it's like, no, yeah, it's 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 his hypocrisy of you think you're high and mighty, but you're actually like in the eyes of society and things doing something that's not. Which I think is also, yeah. Trying to explain that grayness, essentially. Again. Yeah. He's also decided to go against the church in, in doing so. Yeah. And also, but in his mind, he has an, like, he's doing it for a reason, which we find out later on because of what happened to his wife and child, like, child training. Yeah, so, so it's, yeah, that's right. And I think that's an amazing scene, by the way, when mm. he storms through to, to meet with all the doctors and all that sort of stuff and says, you know, I think they're, they're all thinking that Jermaine's the raven at that point, right? Yeah. Or, like, and, or he's exposed that he came from another city. And Yeah, and he's uh, filibustering and, like, monologuing there and they're trying to interject and he's just like, shut the fuck up! Let yeah. me finish! Like, just continually, like... And so he lets them know, like, yeah, I was... Um, I was in another town and, and I lost my wife and my boy. I, I was not a gynecologist or anything. I was actually a brain surgeon and I just decided like that when that happened to me, the person I was died and so I've become someone new and eat a dick, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because he's the doctor that was overseeing the birth of his son mm. put the son before the wife and so they both ended up being killed and he's... Yeah. That's why he's uh, um, does illegal abortions. Yeah, because he's like, I don't want this to ever have to happen again. Like this kind of scenario. But I think there's a a, it's it's really well set up in that if he's an illegal abortionist, and then later on when they're trying to figure out, well, hey, the Raven's still out there. Who could it be? Um, Who's the poison pen letter who done it kind of situation? And it's revealed that Denise has written a letter to say that she's actually pregnant with Jermaine's. Um, baby mm-hmm. uh, it's all set up that, that he has the ability to abort that child if he wants to and so there's this really interesting struggle between the two like where do they go what happens now is she actually the raven does that how does that affect the possibility of them having a child together like yeah. the... that's quite an interesting yeah. dilemma to, to can you if you had the Tech, if you had the know-how to co- to carry through an abortion, could you kill your own baby if you think the mum is an absolute psychopath? Yeah. Uh, it's the, all of a sudden, the film's engaging. It, it is, but the, um, my issue with that is it kind of goes nowhere with that information. Okay. I, yeah, okay. I, I will, will admit that it does the kind of mystery, like a really, like... Um, it's almost like... Sh- shooting a shotgun of mystery at that point where it's just like who done it bang who done it this one here maybe that guy over there yeah it's like it's this person no actually it's this person but twist wait a minute it's this person and you're just like fucking make your mind up movie <laughs> like it's it, it does that so rapid fire it accuses and like not just the film itself but the characters within the film like accuse like 
four people within the space of ten minutes. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. You enjoyed? I did. I, I was just I, I everyone. Found it. Everyone. I mean, it made sense. Mm. Denise is. I mean, he saw Denise write the Raven letter. I know. See, and then I'll, she's just trying to get out of trouble because she happens to be pregnant with his. Baby. I was fine with that one, but yeah. then when it then goes to oh, but it's actually Laura. Oh no, but it actually turns out it's. I was just like oh, sh- fuck off. <laughs> It really, it essentially like, because what I wanted, I I think, I I keep saying it, I wanted the tight building tension that you got from, say, like, Wages of Fear or or something, where it is just the ratcheting it up slowly, whereas this just rapid fire was just like, bang, it's this, uh, wait, no, it's that, what is it, like, just, it it almost gave me whiplash in terms of, like, how quick it just kind of shifted and changed. I certainly enjoyed it on a it would work better for me, level. Yeah, as a, like a novel or something. I'd be like, oh shit, this is now page turner. But the the way it's shot mm. and it's so rapid fire and so quick that I was just like, just fucking build a little mood here, movie, please. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, because you're following along um, cerebrally. Yes, but there's there's no thrill in the sense of a, a film should be shot and carry you through and thrill you because of the imagery and the way it presents itself. Which is a shame, especially for the finale of this film, because there were moments peppered in throughout it that are that beautiful visual style that you can kind of see is the origins or the beginning phases of film noir, Mm -hmm. which I should point out, that was not a genre really yet at this point. Yeah. Um, That film noir kind of emerged post-World War II, and um, so this is the beginning of those kind of elements so it's not you know it's all for the most part shot during the day but he manages to use the high contrast kind of stuff with shadows and people all dressed in black in very brightly lit daytime locations to kind of get that kind of contrast there that high contrast happening um there's an amazing scene with uh the psychologist and uh remy where he like leaves down and the giant shadow cast up on the wall as well as the great scene with the swinging light bulb yeah I did enjoy that scene a lot. Yeah. And especially there's a transition where it's got the light bulb swinging and then it's, it's, that, it's the only fade that I really thought was inventive. Because and it actually shows and tells you something. It's about, yeah. a, it shows you that an immense passage of time has happened. Yeah. It's swinging and then it fades to it not swinging and you're just like, eh, yeah, that's, that's nice. Something's happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I liked it on the whole. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, but as you say, it's not, meeting that level of Clouseau that you would find later on. Exactly. Like, I, I'm kind of shitting on it at this point, I've realised. But it, it's still, it's a, it's a solid, like, you know, three-star. Like, you know, it's not it's not bad, but it's not... I think I, I made the mistake of going in with high expectations and was... Especially the opening shot as well is fucking amazing. This beautiful, like, Steadicam shot that shows you the scenery of the village and, like, the windows open up and onto the bell tower and things... I was like, oh, fuck yeah, we got like some, this is going to be dynamic as hell. And it just kind of never got there for me. The camera was moving a lot. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, There's actually, there's actually a short story from uh, Peter Carey, written in the 70s, I think it was. Really? Okay. It's kind of similar to this. Yeah. Almost uh, better in its concept. It's the same kind of thing. Hmm. Where it's just a town unraveling because someone's done like exposing all their at, secrets. Yeah, pulling out that thread. Yeah. But in this short story, I think it's in his like American Dreams collection. Mm-hmm. And Cole was telling me about it, and I, yeah. I looked into it. Uh, and basically, it's about this this town 
that's kind of going about its business and up on the hill nearby is a cabin and someone lives there and they've and he dies and people go up to inspect the place and realize that there's a small scale model of the entire town and inside if you look at the houses there's miniatures of people having sex with other people's wives and it's the oh. same kind of situation but it's, it's told through um, a model a model town that's kind of cool like he's actually essentially to some degree kind of playing god with these little fake people like yeah yeah. yeah. Sorry, no, that that's a bit too... <laughs> like, well, he's, he's, but he's, yeah. He's spying. I mean, that's another thing yeah. that I didn't get. How could... So it's, I mean, spoilers. I suppose we've spoiled most of the film at this point anyway. But um, it, it ends up being the psychiatrist, yeah. uh, Vorzette. And the I one s- who seemed to be the kind of most logical, sane person in the town. Yeah. Um, and does he know everyone's secrets because they've been talking to him about their problems? It's either... I think it might be that to some degree because he is the psychologist in the town. And so, you know, he has a little bit of insight there. But I think it's also a lot of the case of he's just making shit up. Like, I don't think it is necessarily a lot of what he's writing in the letters is fake. But because... is It's not real? Yeah, but, kind of but, but like, I'm, I'm only assuming that because essentially our, our, our travelling path through the film is with uh, Jermaine and uh, we know that his stuff is true and so therefore we're, we're making as an audience the assumption that everyone else's letters are true when they could just be random slandery gossip weirdness that he's essentially throwing gasoline on a fire to see what happens. Yeah, but you have... That, I mean, that's a pretty big assumption that you've made. Yeah, I know. Because the film I, never tells you one way or the other. Yes, exactly. Which is... Which I don't... Could you fault it for that? Because... No, not at all. Okay. Because like, I don't think... Because it's not in, I, It's not important whether or not it's the information that he's spreading is true or false. It, what matters is how everyone's reacting to that information. Sure. Which but is... But I was thinking, how did he get this information if it's true? Yeah, I mean, I guess he's... Everyone's... Because if, if he's getting it because he's a psychologist and he, they talk to him and it's That's, confidential... He's breaking his Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. Well, sure, but also people be like, the Raven's him because he's the psychologist and he knows everybody's... He's the only one that I've told about this so that's that's why I was kind of thinking it could just be made up kind of you know Jeff is sleeping with Jenny Craig's wife like you know just random shit that everyone's gonna deny and be like that ain't fucking true I know what but no one's denying it they're, well they kind of are but they they, uh, they're getting pretty I, I thought everyone was kind of in, like the way that they were conducting themselves and how they worked everyone up into a fever I think was not because their real life peccadillos are being shared it's because I'm being slandered Mm. Fake news, fake news. Stop it now! <laughs> like you know. Yeah. Okay. That's just my yeah. I but like I, I like the model model town device yeah. better than poison pen letters. Yeah. Oh, we'll get into the history of that in a second. But I just before we do, I just want to say like I I found it very, I was very satisfied with it being the psychologist at the end being the actual raven because of that like I mentioned just before that scene where he says no one is essentially good or evil everyone is grey and you just need to become aware of that and I think it's like him kind of in his roundabout crazy way trying to exemplify that to the town of like 
you all conduct yourselves in such a like hoity-toity. It's the indictment on the bourgeoisie, essentially. Yeah. And he's a part of that. He's considered to be like you know the great smart psychologist, but he conducts himself in a real wacky laissez-faire kind of attitude when everyone else is very strict and mer. And he's like, fuck it. Like, do you not all see that we're all e- like it's an equal playing level playing field here. Everyone's yeah. got you know everyone's got their bag of shit. Yeah, so, pull everyone down to the same level. Essentially, yeah. Which I found really, I found that a really interesting, satisfying ending. Mm-hmm. I just the the trip to there was a little bit meh for me. Yeah, it was good because it's averted expectations. Yes. <laughs> um, do we go into the history stuff now? Yeah. So. What made this kind of really cool was that it's actually based off of a true story uh, that took place in the small town of Tulle in the south of France between 1917 and 1922. Uh, 110 letters were sent anonymously um, to people in the town. And uh, similarities with the plot to the movie included the fact that uh, someone died after receiving a letter. Though they died, it wasn't a suicide, it was a dementia, I believe. Um, the dictation, where they got everyone in the town to essentially, or suspects to write out at ad nauseum all 100 letters until... Trying to figure out whose handwriting it is. Yeah, they're kind of breaking it down, which it turns out in real life actually did reveal who was oh, doing it. Okay. Um, and the fact that uh, the sender was a woman who uh, was in love with a man who was one of the targets of the letters. Uh, the woman who was doing it was sentenced to one month in jail and had to pay a fine. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, it's morally bad, but it's not actually... A, like... It's not illegal. Yeah, well, that's what, I'm, it, like, that's what I mean. It's kind of, you're causing, like, public distress, it's, it's, I guess? Yeah, or disturbing it, the pee, like... It's kind of chaotic good. Yeah chaotic no it's kind of chaotic good they're trying I mean in the context of this film the person's trying to expose everyone's evils so that they could be better potentially they're they're trying to achieve chaotic good through chaotic evil like because it is what they're doing is not okay but it's also their motivations behind doing it are arguably okay Uh, it's interesting because is it okay well no because he leads to someone fucking killing themselves because of one of the letters. Well, he, he was terminally ill. He wasn't terminally... No, the the guy we're cancer. talking about is the guy that had uh, had a disease. I think it was cancer. He had liver cancer. He had liver cancer. Um, and the raven says, it's actually terminal. Your cancer's terminal. And the guy freaks out and kills himself. It, and not just that. It's not that it's, it's terminal and also your nurses and doctors don't give a shit about you, essentially. That does suck. Which led him to be like, well, fuck it all, and he kills himself. Yeah. But what about but, exposing, uh, you know, an affair between a man and a, and a woman? In terms of is that morally okay? Or? Yeah, is it ethically okay to do that? Or? Oh, I mean, the, the town's... Is... It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. Maybe you could make a case for it. Um, I don't... Sorry, we are joined by a little... We are joined by my little baby, Nelly. <laughs> uh, she was asleep and now she's not. Yeah, we, we should say, yeah, it is. And also, if you can hear the air conditioning on in the background, it's because it's like 43 degrees Celsius here in Melbourne at the moment. It's, it's ridiculous. Mm. So, um, that's what noises are. But, um... Like, using that example of, like, revealing an affair, I... 
there are ways that that is like don't send letters like that like send go like the knives out route where it's just like you tell her I will kind of yeah. like you know there are ways to approach it <laughs> I don't know why knives out was the first example of that that came to my I just rewatched it the other night so yeah I think that's the better way to do it and so it is and because essentially he is crazy that's what it ends up being he's like it's not explicitly kind of said but it is he just kind of he went off the deep end because his wife was the one that sent that first letter because she was jealous of Jermaine and was in love with him and when she found out that he had no interest in her but was actually having an affair with Denise that she's like fuck you I'm gonna send a letter threatening to reveal who you are and her husband's like ah that sounds like a pretty cool idea I'm a I'm going to piggyback onto that. <laughs> and then he just kind of got drunk with power to some degree. Or, like, drunk with the results of what was happening. He was just kind of like, more chaos, more chaos. Let's level everyone. Let's break, let's fucking break it all down. It pisses people off, but it's not yeah. illegal. No. And yet, I mean, it's it's an interesting... Which, which is essentially why, why the two people that they've accused of it, uh, Laura and then uh, the nurse as well, the two of them, they're not taken to jail they are accused of being insane because yeah. of what they're doing and they're cut off to the mental hospital yeah. which is like way more fucked as well it's so it's i just realized that this is more interesting than i than i thought while watching the film because like, as you story say, in, in reality, is really interesting but it's just told in a very kind of in well yeah it, it's like watching an early early hitchcock film like the lady vanishes or something where you're like this is really interesting story-wise but looking at it you're like you I can see what you, where you're gonna go as a filmmaker, but you're just not quite there yet. Mm. Like it, to seeing Cluzo tackle this kind of film, like maybe ten years later, would have been really fucking interesting. I think it would have been like hyper stylized and kind of leaned more into like the the show don't tell essentially of the filmmaking. Like not, yeah, yeah you know I, what I, I mean. Think the more interesting film would be have these poison pen letters occur. And then how do you deal with a person that does this? Do you send them off to to prison for a month, like in reality? Yeah. Or do you send them off to an insane asylum because society doesn't know what to deal with? You're too chaotic for society. Mm. That's probably a more interesting third act, right? Yeah. Trying to figure out what you do with a person and discuss those kinds of things. But anyway, the there's additional historical context. I want to talk about the fact that it was made by um, Continental Films. Yeah, which is which was founded by uh, Joseph Goebbels. Yes, and well, this uh, we should say is during know, Nazi occupied France. Well, this film was released in 1943, which is you know wartime. Yeah, and um, you know it, it's essentially made in German occupied France, and yeah. But of course, I want to I wanted to figure out why why would Clouseau do this, and. I mean, it's his second film. He starts off as a screenwriter initially, and he just wants to get his foot in the door, I guess. I mean, he'd be conflicted that he's working, he's partnered with Nazis. Yeah. But I guess I guess he wanted to just really make live. films. Yeah, and live. And, you know, <laughs> survive <laughs> what was happening. Well, you could survive and not make films, but he True. wanted to make films. To, he to he was an artist. He wanted to, like, you know, express himself and do his craft, but... Um, yeah, it's he, interesting to note that after the war, he was uh, banned from making films for, I think, two years because of his involvement with this company as a sort of punishment there. So, 
Okay. Yeah, they actually, to set restrictions on, like, you, as a punishment for siding with and working with these people, you, yeah, a, a two-year ban from working within the industry, so. so yeah, well, I, I think it was a life ban, but then he's, they... Some people got life some, bans, for, for sure, but I, I know his was only two years, or he got, he talked his way out of it or something. I think, I read that he got a life ban and then it was taken back because there was some protests and that people said, don't life ban him. He's, he's pretty he's good at what he's Yeah. Um, so they ended up doing that. But, but I mean, like, yeah, he pissed a lot of people off with this movie. Yeah, which is, again, it's super interesting having the context that this was made by, you know, a production company that Joseph Goebbels set up because it is essentially about a... The central core premise is about how misinformation and propaganda can destroy it society yeah I mean, coming from Nazis that's really interesting I think well even though it was a commercial success at the time the Nazis I mean they fired him yeah they did not like because I mean it is a I mean you could take it as a critique on as you say like the Nazi occupation mm. um, but the fact that he was able to kind of weasel his way around that because that's very clearly I think a subtext meta comment on what is mm. happening within the film and what's happening in France Recently, like you know, within the last ten years of this film being made, um, yeah, I think he managed to get a, around that in the actual production by being like, "Oh no, it's based on this classic thing that happened in France twenty years ago. It's a true story, kind of mystery detective thing that we're going to do, but we're actually saying fuck you to you at the same time." Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, and that's why. Do you know this? This is a cool piece of trivia I learned. That's why on uh, Shosana's cinema above it's one of the posters one of the massive posters in Inglorious Bastards mm. on the cinema is Le Corbeau is Le Corbeau, yeah. oh that's awesome yeah I did not know that so next time you're watching Glorious Bastards you'll see that and be like and I know like, that holy movie. crap yeah yeah because yeah, I knew that they uh, had the GW Paps like uh, Piz Palu film and stuff but I yeah Le Corbeau that, that's rad yeah I think it's like the 50, 46 minute mark from memory or whatever. But awesome! I'm definitely because I'm I'm, in, I'm due for a rewatch of Inglorious, so I'll keep an eye out on that. It's a good one to put in. Yeah. Uh, for I mean, this is almost like Tarantino's masturbating on screen what? again because he knows so much about cinema. So yeah, well, it's a Tarantino film, so <laughs> it is Tarantino masturbating <laughs> on screen. Like, I love that man. But we're we're out having some beers with our friend Mike, who has been on a couple episodes of this show before and he was saying how he he uh saw the golden globes and tarantino's acceptance speech and it just pissed him off and i'm like what <laughs> you were surprised quentin tarantino gave an arrogant acceptance speech of a writing award like no i got so happy when he won because i'm like i get to see the most arrogant yeah <laughs> this it's is a, amazing it's a one-man show yeah exactly he is like wonderfully egotistical yeah and you can either let that like i know some people really hate him because of that but i didn't just like just enjoy it just enjoy it he's been like that for 30 years you just i guess didn't notice <laughs> Like some, when he won, when Paul Fisher won the Palm Door at Cannes, um, someone was booing him in the crowd, and so he's like, flipped them off and yelled "fuck you" to them. <laughs> like it's, you know, he's a rock star. Like, what do you want? Exactly. Whether you like him or not, it's yeah. Um, so that's fun. Um, I know. Do you have anything else for this one? I mean, performances were fine. Um, I thought uh, the psychiatrist was great, but everyone else is serviceable. I disagree. I, I thought. Um, Pierre Fresnay and what was the uh, Denise the person that played Denise mm-hmm. Jeanette uh, Leclerc mm-hmm. 
both of those guys were really good, especially mm. when they're together. Um, yeah. There's a lot of fiery shit going on there. So, all right. I actually, I, I really liked it. I mean, it's I'm I'm happy to contextualize Cluzo's work more. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the strongest aspect of of having watched the film. Um, but it still was really good. Mm. Um, all right. Well, I only had one little bit of trivia left on this one. It kind of goes back to the original true story of what this was based on. Uh, in the real story, the letters were signed the Eye of the Tiger and not the Raven. Okay. Which made me be like, ooh, is that where Survivor got the name of their song from? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, Clouseau chose to change uh, the, you know, the signature to the latter, um, the Raven, uh, after he read the description of the accused woman made by a journalist during the 1922 trial, where she was described as, she looks like a bird with fold- who has folded in her wings. So he's like, ah, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Well, let's change it to be a kind of mysterious bird instead of the eye of the tiger. The, the raven also is, I mean, as an animal, if you want to look at, like, a kind of personality of an animal, it's way more darker and interesting. Uh, and it's kind of de- uh, deceptive or it's it's kind mis- of... Yeah, it belongs mis- in the shadows, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and this, this I thought was really cool, actually. Um, after the movie came out, the word raven uh, stayed, or le corbeau, stayed in the French language to designate someone who sends anonymous letters. Okay. So now that is in the dictionary. It's like you look up the right, you know, le corbeau, and it's like a black bird, someone who sends anonymous letters. It has now adopted. Like, po- like specifically poison pen letters? Yes. Or just anonymous letters in general? Uh, just anonymous letters, essentially. Okay. Uh, it's. Someone who sends those is called a raven. Okay. Uh, it's one of the rare examples of a film expression uh, influencing actual language and kind of sticking around, which I thought was very cool. Yeah. Mm. Um, but unless you got anything else, I guess we start wrapping this one up. I think that's it, yeah. All right. Well, uh, the film is actually out of print from Criterion, um, but if you're able to track down a copy of the DVD, it comes with the following social features. Uh, video interview with Bernard uh, Bertrand Tavernier, who was the director of Coup de Tochon. If you remember that movie, probably not. If you couldn't remember my life as a dog, film we did maybe a hundred episodes ago. Another French film, so he's obviously a big fan of this. So it's got him kind of talking about it, and it's how it's influenced him. I don't remember the maybe. You show me a trailer, and I'll be like, oh yeah. Yeah, uh, I want to say Coup de Torchon is the one where it's like the uh, French-occupied South African town, and it's like the sheriff-y kind of one there. I think, it, yeah, it's based off a Jim Thompson novel. Your retention of knowledge with film is is um, I want to look commendable. Up, I want to look up if I'm right about Coup de Torchon, if that's what that one is. I'm fucking hopeless, but you know that's okay. Yeah, I was right. Uh, has Isabelle Hubert in it? Uh, a pathetic police chief humiliated by everyone around him suddenly wants a clean slate and resorts to dr- uh, drastic means. Yeah, based off of the uh, Jim Thompson novel and things. Uh, the yeah, French town, um, South African area. Yeah. What did you say? I liked it. From 1981. Whatever. <laughs> uh, the DVD for Le Cobo also comes with excerpts from The Story of French Cinema by Those Who Made It, Grand Illusions, 1939 to 1942. A 1975 documentary featuring uh, Henri-Georges Clouseau, as well as the usual book and essays that Criterion always do. Yeah. It's out of print, though. So it's out of print. Very so. hard to find. Yes. Um, but I guess that'll probably wrap us up looking at uh, Le Corbeau. What is next? 
Next is a film called Salvatore... Oh, Sal, Salvatore. Salvatore Giuliano by Francesco Rossi from 1962. It is a Italian mafia film. Okay, cool. I have not seen, and I know nothing more... I just kind of went and had a little vague search to be like, I want to be surprised, but like, what kind of genre? And it looks like it's true story about like the the mafia in Sicily in the kind of early sixties. That sounds, I, that sounds pretty cool, actually. And I did see on the Criterion edition the essays and the booklets and stuff are written by Francis Ford Coppola and Scorsese. Yeah, so okay. they're obviously, you know, you look at the films they went on to make; they were very influenced by this one. So. Well, that's exciting, actually. Yeah. So, I guess tune in next week for that episode. But, um, otherwise, uh, thank you to our sponsors, A24 Films. <laughs> that's right. They're not actual sponsors, but, you know. We just want to keep saying A24 because they should be more well-known. Yes. <laughs> and everyone should go off and watch. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and do something each week. Then I'm going to recommend an A24 film. Okay. Uh, go track down a film called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. That's, that's my A24 recommendation. Check right out that one. It's pretty great. Otherwise, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. And I'm Tom. See you next time. <laughs>